0: What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and I'm here with the one and only Alex Felice and Ben Killoy, who is the host of the Military Veteran Dad podcast, as well as he's known as the dad coach. But the reason Ben's on here is because I was a guest on his podcast like a month or two ago, and I just had a really good time talking with him about things that I don't think get talked through enough, like being a parent or the psychological piece of coming home to your family after a deployment and kind of that weird interaction that happens there where uh, like the one that hit home for me personally was when we were talking about how uh, like service members kind of have this thing that they pretend that everybody comes home and everything's wonderful. But the reality is like that's never the really the case when you just show up after like seven months. But nobody wants to like talk about the fact that it's not the case. Everyone thinks everybody else. Anyway, all that to say. I had a delightful time talking to this man about things that we don't always get to talk about and I think are very important as men. So I wanted to bring him on the show. So Ben, welcome to the show, brother. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're cleared to depart friendly lines. Roger. Vic one, Oscar Mike.
1: Thank you, David. And I hear that a lot with people in business that have done big things like yourself, that they often just spend all their time all day talking about all these things that they've done. And they love talking about the part that really matters. But no one really asks them those questions about like, what do you go home to? Why are you doing all this for Do you just want money to give to the poor? Or are you doing it for your family to create a better life? And we don't often create enough time within our life to talk about what really matters with just family. So I really appreciate what you did when you came on my podcast. And I'm excited for our conversation here today.
0: Yeah, welcome to the show. So why don't you give like a 10,000-foot overview of kind of what it is that get, well, I guess kind of what got you into the the dad world as a as a coach or or as a expert and then kind of what it is you do and then we're just going to have a fun conversation,
1: I guess Joe Rogan style, as it is where we talk through uh life so for me, it goes all the way back to 2007 when I got out of the Marine Corps with the simple idea that I was meant for something bigger, but I had zero idea what that was. I wasn't reading self-help books. I had just started reading books, and those were only the Dan Brown books. And I that was that was about as much of a reading person that I was back then. But I was like, I want to do something more, and the Marine Corps is going to limit me and hold it back. But the problem was I just accepted the TAPS code of the transition assistance, and I went and went out, got a job, got an interview, did all that stuff, got a house. Use the GI Bill, fast forward to 2014, I dropped out of the College of Engineering because it just wasn't working. I failed two classes and I was like, I gotta take a pause. But at that same time, that was how everything was supposed to get better. Like everyone tells you in the civilian world, you just get these pieces of paper and you're just elevated to whole new opportunities. And in some cases you are, but that is not always where you're gonna find happiness. And I wasn't finding happiness there. And now I dropped out, I'm like, what do I do now? I remember my daughter was two years old and I remember looking at her thinking, how can I take you into your life? i can barely take myself through mine and so that was almost about 10 years since getting on the marine corps in 2014 and there i just had to start asking really hard questions and at the same time jay leno had also left the tonight show and that triggered this thought in my head that all these people came out to celebrate all the reasons why jay was a great man and how he helped influence their life and i was like i don't think a single person is going to care that i was here other than my family. I don't think anybody's going to show up my funeral and be like, you know what, Ben really showed up for me. He was just this kind guy that did a whole bunch of things for me. I was like, that's not me. So I was like, well, wh- what's, what's going on here? And the question that really sparked the whole growth journey was if you want a result in your life you never had, you need to do something you've never done. And for me, the result I never had was friends. I was always this guy that didn't, that felt awkward, didn't really connect with all the people. I connected well with Marines and the Marine Corps, but it wasn't something that was solidifying. And I didn't know honestly how to repeat it without that commonality of being Marines. And so it was just kind of stuck. Then I was like, well, what am I not doing that's not getting that result? Well, turns out you have to talk to people. And for me, every person that I would talk to in my mind was that high school girl that said no. And so she rejected me. So I'm just going to assume everybody else will. And that really sucked at high school. So just avoid it in general all over. And so I was like, well, that's a really crazy thought. That's not true. So I was like, okay, let's do this. So I started talking to dads at the park and it was dads at the park where I learned to say hello. I learned that they wanted to talk to me just as much as I did. And fast forward from those moments, the dads at the park, I was able to connect with a deeper version of myself that friends started reflecting back bigger and ideas that I couldn't see myself. They would say things like, Ben, the way you put things together is just something that I don't know how to do. Or, and the way you said that unlocks a feeling that I didn't know I needed to feel. I've told that story of dads at the park and I've made a man cry after I got done speaking because I put words to emotions that he wasn't actually even acknowledging. And so through those little baby steps, fast forward to 2018, I told my story to a military spouse and she started crying. And in that moment, I realized that her husband came home from war, but didn't mentally come home from war. And I realized my story did that, my voice it wasn't even intentional. I was just having a conversation. That moment, gut checked my alignment. And three months later, I launched a Military Veteran Dad podcast with the focus to bring every dad home. And it's been over two and a half years now at the time of this recording. And it's just been an incredible journey of figuring out me, finding my voice, building confidence. Because throughout most of the time I've had the podcast, there was always still the imposter like, who are you to do this? Because a part of my ego in the back of my head would always say, guys like you do not do things like that. And every time someone, I would stumble or whatever, and it wouldn't be a big stumble. My ego was like, see, I told you, you put yourself out there and you got hurt. I told you, if you just stayed right here, we wouldn't have had this problem. You need to trust me. Don't keep doing this stuff that scares us. And that was what I fought through that entire process. And fast forward to 2020, had to rewire my life to be a stay-at-home dad. I lost my job in January 2020 before the corona even hit and been rewiring it ever since. And now i have rewired to be an entrepreneur coach, the dad coach, as I'm called. And I'm helping dads, all more dads, not even just military dads, come home to their family. Because what I've realized is many dads don't come home. It's not just a military problem. It's actually a global problem that men just find too much significance in work. And they really struggle to find the significance at home. And that's what I've been doing. That's my long story. I was trying to get it short, but this doesn't always work that way.
2: Look at it, Alex. I love this. He has a good. Hey, obligatory. can I say I, I I feel so bad, but I have to. I'm going to tell you. something. I'm going to ask you something. It's going to be sounded kind of snarky. Are you familiar that men overwhelmingly, in statistically, prefer things than people? And I don't think I've heard are.
1: it's just said in that statistical way, not not that way. But I
2: believe it to be true. Do you think that has anything to do with... The way you started that conversation, I really like the story. So you said, I avoid people because, you know, you get poor interactions in high school. You over-neuroticize them in your head. You carry them with you into adulthood. And then you're like... And then generally, a lot of times in adulthood, you kind of like just... People make friends with who they work with or other geographical commonalities. Not like... Like you went off and chose. You're like, I'm going to go find these people to connect with. I mean, geographically, but it was intentional, which I love. Mm-hmm. And so, but... So do you think that... Do you find that you
1: are different? Do you think you prefer people over things? I prefer people over things now, definitely. That was not always the case because in American culture, things are what people... I mean, there's commercials on all over the United States saying your Apple Watch is supposed to provide happiness. and Having the latest iPhone is going to make you the most connected, well, well-influenced person within your group of people. So you're just marketed to continue to think that way. But what I've learned to realize through connections and rewiring it to the other way is... The connections you get to other people are actually what's going deep in who you are and allow you to move more different things. And you guys both know this, that when you know people, when you talk to people, you can create opportunity. Things don't create opportunity. People do. Conversations do. And if you don't have that comfort to go out there and create a lot of good connections to talk to a lot of random strangers, it's going to limit the amount of opportunity that comes to you. So in many cases, that inability to really access that like connections can actually change everything. And now my mindset is I'm always one conversation away from changing my life. So I'm always going to say hello because on the other side of hello was everything that I have today. But a lot of what you just talked about, I think is almost rooted all the way back into when men first started going to the factories in the industrial revolution. It just started rewiring that saying, this is your new purpose. It's not something you do with your hands in the ground but it's to go to this building, get earn a very minimal wage, come home and provide the scraps that you felt like you could get left. And that was just kind of this idea that just kept mortificizing. And it was almost solidified again with like the factory and with like Henry Ford and putting people in factories and jobs like that, the 60s, all 70s, different jobs. And it just kind of rewired men to focus on the things versus all this other stuff. But I think we were there before. I just think we, we lost that part in the last 100 years. And not a lot of men are making that switch to like, I think we might be having it wrong with focusing on things. I like that theory.
2: I found out, I kind of, I relate to that because I didn't think, I thought I liked things as a kid. And now that I, you know, I kind of, when we youth when where it's like, Hey, let me go try to make connections with people because you're hundred percent, right? Like real estate, you know, to me, it's a transaction of seven people and then you get to a building, but you know, the building is the last piece. So once I realized that people are the real, the best investment of all, I realized in retrospect of my life, I always liked people better. Some dudes though, just really don't want to talk to people. And that's why I asked, the original question was like, do you think that some men have a difficulty making that transition because they find it just genuinely harder to talk to people innately? And then obviously some of them are, it's like that cultural thing.
1: I think there's a little bit more deeper to go a little bit more psychoanalytical that early in life, most of those men had something happen that they were conditioned not to feel, not to be someone outwardly communicative And in part of just surviving, be your survival mechanism, your brain learned to survive through that. And I mean, if you can think of even parents that live vicariously or they wanted their kids to have a better life than they did, I mean, a lot of American culture is to provide a lot of things at birthdays and Christmas. And I mean, there's Christmases where my kids have had too much stuff and they almost don't even know what to play with. And it's those types of wiring and examples that necessarily always proud of. And I always trying to re-improve that. But it's a lot of that, just that wiring, that this is how there, we were raised, that things is where you should be keep craving more of. And it's that one more toy target that's gonna make your kid happy when it's never the one more toy, because it's always one more toy. And it's always one more thing. I mean, a guy that has three cars in his garage that are all hot rods, he's probably looking for number four because those three didn't really meet the number and he doesn't really understand why.
2: What fire gets put out when you feed it, that kind of thing. Nothing nobody okay. David.
0: <laughs> oh man. all right, so talk to me because I enjoyed the conversation and I enjoy so I know it's a common problem for men. Well I mean I'm sure it's a, a problem for a lot of people, but like the guy coming off a deployment or the guy who's you know a workaholic like me or whatever going home, Kind of walk through maybe some of the expectations that might be misleading with someone coming off of a, a deployment or whatever and not coming home. Because like for me, like the perception was when I sent my family home over the last year or whatever, it was always like, oh, yeah, when I go home, it's gonna be like this big welcome home celebration and everything's gonna be normal. And that is, you know, far from reality because it's kind of like, OK, well, you know, hey, as well, you're messing up the routine like you haven't been here. We don't do it that way right now. Or, you know, the wife needs to warm up because I haven't seen you in a year or the kids don't necessarily know whether or not to ask you questions or to, to take your word on things because they're not used to you being the dad because you're not around. And I think that's very common, especially for service members when they come back from a deployment or whatever. I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are on that and maybe some things that you would suggest for working through some of that. I think there's
1: three things going against the service member coming home from a deployment. One of them is the media. The media in general only focuses on veterans to highlight the good. Very few times is there a spotlight on the negative because everybody wants to support veterans. So they always want this positive image. They don't want veterans. They have to work a harder image game when they're trying to get a job than they need to. So there's not a lot of spotlighting any of the downsides or the struggles. Then you have within the military, the military does a re- great job of doing a lot of good things to support the family, but within a cohesive unit of your military command, There's not a lot of acknowledgement that your family exists. And the only time they do acknowledge it is when you've gotten in trouble and they need to get involved because you're in the end of the rope and something is really devastatingly happening in your family, whether it be abuse or alcohol, whatever it may be. And we don't acknowledge it when it's good. And then the other third component is a lot of military members don't even feel safe to really talk about the struggle. There isn't we we feel safe talking about all the different things of life except this major component that is our life. And Within a military unit, there are, I mean, there were very few people that ever talked about their family when I was serving the Marine Corps. It was always about all the just banter that Marines would talk about, never acknowledging that people have real families back home that they're talking about. And it's just that kind of ignorance that these other things exist. And so it doesn't create a safe place, which almost sets us up for failure because we are, we go in blind because we haven't been exposed to any of this example until it happens to us in real life for the first time. And we've got all of these different things setting us up to like, oh, it's going to be this. Because I just saw a video on it of this service member coming home. And I love how it's going to be recreated. But again, there is that honeymoon phase that we talked about, David. It eventually ends. And that honeymoon phase is, it's good because I think it lets the emotion kind of like, it's just like a dam where you just kind of go into survival mode leading up to coming home. But at the same time, on the other side of that, that dam, is the real work of coming back together. And I think the biggest thing that I could offer as a piece of advice is when you first come home, don't try to go back to normal, slowly progress week by week of becoming person that is an equal within the household. Like the first week you wanna pretend like you're almost just a house guest. Observe what's going on. Don't try to give a bunch of orders. Let your wife still keep the routine that she's doing and gradually work your way up to equals with your wife. Because if you just go in there and try to take control, whatever it may be, all it's going to do is create friction. And that step of gradually going home, once you do get home, will create a a better outcome on the other end that you build yourself up, you learn why things are the way they are. And then you can kind of go forward. I kind of call it an empathy bridge as well, because you're also learning what life was like while you were gone for both of you. And if you can learn and empathize with what you missed, did your daughter, if she's 16, miss, did you miss having a boyfriend conversation because she was struggling with something? Those things build up resentment. If you don't create space and time to to hear what was going on when you were gone, that they wished you were there, but you weren't, that just kind of creates these like trip minds in the future They eventually you trip over. You have no idea why. Well, it was something you weren't even present for. And making sure you have that intentional time is a great way to just disarm it before it ever has a chance to get armed. I'm
0: not used to having to ask two questions in a row. Alex is normally like ready to roll. I don't have kids or family. What am I going to say? You know, I'm listening, I'm learning. All right. Now I feel like an asshole. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) All right. So what are some other common problems that you see with, we'll we'll say military dads, but I mean, dads in general that maybe, especially, I guess, for to make it the most relative to our podcast, it could be military dads, but it could also just be entrepreneurs or people with a side hustle or like, I'm sure there's other kind of common questions you get.
1: I think one that would hit right on the head and you probably see them at stage one or maybe like at a baby step of, they saw a Grant Cardone video and they're like, whoa, this sounds amazing, but how do I do it? And then they don't really know where, what, why or any of that stuff. They just heard a really cool video and he flies in a really nice airplane. So it looks kind of cool. I think what I talk to a lot of men about is they actually don't have a clear goal. In one of the, when I go through discovery calls with men before they go into the program, sometimes it's really difficult trying to get them to a clear goal of like, what are you actually trying to achieve with your work, your purpose, What you, you're you on a rinse and repeat mode, but where are you headed? And I think the same thing that you probably get in early stage when people are like, oh, I wanna be a mil- military millionaire. Okay, well, what's your goal? I don't know, I just thought I had to say that and it would happen. Like, they, you have to have some intention behind that. And I think, A lot of men don't even spend time setting a clear goal for their family. What do they want to do with this wealth that they're getting ready to create? Is that going to create more time freedom so you can go on more families? And another thing that I think within the military, probably it's even a little bit more uh, sensitive than in the civilian world is we don't get a lot of time to dream. Like we're almost so mission focused being a professional dreamer is almost a handicap because we don't have the capacity to do it and really like, when you probably step into someone's life and you're like, yeah, I can help you go where you need to go. And they're like, what are you dreaming of doing? And then you hear crickets. So I think even just spending a little time figuring out what's this all for, where are you headed? What are you you headed when you sign up to focus on real estate? Is that so that you can spend more time with your kids? Is that so you can be a, a stay at home dad and maybe let your wife go switch and go off and start a career while you've retired from the military? whatever it may be, we don't have a clear why of what we're doing. And I think that's like the big first thing that most dads miss up is it's hard to go somewhere if you don't actually have a target and you're easily gonna get lost. If you don't have the asthma from the military compass, you're not gonna get out of the canyon that you're stuck in. You've gotta have that direction. And that is something that I see. And I'm curious, do you, is that something, is that true? Like, do you really see that when people are like, hey, I wanna be a military millionaire, that the goal is like completely empty and they don't have a dream to even fill the gap of Why why they wanna be a military millionaire? All the
0: time in the Facebook group. In fact, that's one of the things that I usually start people when they start asking very vague questions. Is like, what's your five-year goal? Like, what's your tenure? Like, are you wanting to create like mailbox money where you can sit on the beach? Or are you wanting to build a really big business where you have employees and you flip houses? Or you know, are you trying to make a quick buck? Are you trying to supplement this? Are you wanting to go all in? Like, I agree. Yeah, a lot of people... I mean, I I will say though, for the record, that if you just click your heels together three times and say military millionaire, you will actually just achieve it with no work. It's totally true. So
2: I do want to come in and defend that a little bit. I think telling the world and yourself what it is you want to be, I think it definitely takes both, right? But that is part of it. And so if you don't have a goal, if it's like, "Mm," even if you don't know what it is, I wanted to kind of defend the people who are like, I don't really have it figured out because would you agree that you change what you want changes? So the idea like, okay, this is what I think I want. I'm 20, whatever the case. Let me say it every day. Say it out loud. Live it, breathe it, daydream it. And then, okay. Then as we get closer, you're like, well, okay, I don't... I want to do real estate, but I don't want to do wholesaling. I want to do real estate, but I don't want to do it this way because now I know myself better. So I just wanted to put that contrarian point of view in there for no reason. I I agree
1: with what you're saying. And the best advice that I would offer to someone that is kind of just going step by step. And I think it's perfectly okay. I think the first step to admitting you have a problem is to admitting you have a problem and saying, I don't have a goal and I'm just gonna kind of keep my eyes wide open to it and go ahead forward with it. And I think the one, like another question that's tapped in with goal setting is purpose and passion. It's like a curse question. When you ask someone that's never thought of it, they can't stop thinking about it. And the way that I got out of the loop because I had that same curse question asked and I am like, I don't know, I've never had one is you just follow your curiosity. Your curiosity are the breadcrumbs to really where you want to go. And you don't always have to know, but if you follow your curiosity, like if you re- just heard Military Millionaire for the first time and it's really intriguing, what next thing sounds the most curious? Do you want to binge watch HGTV Flipping Houses and see if that really was what you want? Then binge watch HGTV Flipping Houses and really see if that's what you want. But that curiosity will lead you to where you need to go. So you don't always have to know that direction. And curiosity is the best step-by-step process that I've learned to get you to where you got clarity, because I didn't have any clarity. I did not know I wanted to start a podcast or be a coach or anything like that. I just had a curiosity that I knew I wanted freedom. Freedom was a word that I de- I declared that I really had a craving for. And then I just started diving into it and figuring out where are people free and where, how they created it. And I just started looking at different things around the world and then figuring out how it applied for me.
3: Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in. And we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes. We're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing. We bring in very specific topics that will... Adhere to very broad, any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do and will really help you out. And we let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them. And then back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase. But I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com.
0: And we'll send you some more information. What kind of authors like in this in this subject space? So like I can sit here and name a whole bunch of people that I like reading or learning from in the business world. But I'm curious what kind of authors or resources you like in the space
1: of, you know, parenthood. There's so many different books in parenting. And it's actually a trap in itself that you can think, oh, they're just gonna read this book, especially like with like, there's like one, two, three magic, which has been around for a while. And I've read it and I still say one, two, three, but it never had the magic effect that was sold on the title of the book. The one book, and I just read this book last winter because there was a moment where I was just got done yelling at my kids and I was just like, there's just gotta be a better way. So I Googled, stop screaming at your kids. And then this book came up, Scream-Free Parenting. And I was like, well, that's a hell of a title if I ever saw one. And Scream Free Parenting by Hal Runkle was the is the author. And I dove into that book and it completely rewired how I thought about parenting. And then he has one called Scream Free Marriage. So then I was like, well, that sounds also like a great title because that's something I want to avoid. So how do I dive into that? And so I dove into that head first. And the biggest component within those, this is why I loved the idea of these books and the way he set it up, is parenting is more about us than it is about kids. And the exercise in raising kids and marriage is more about our maturity or immaturity in life. And marriage itself is an exercise of maturity. And most of the problems that I've learned that I've created was a inability to grow up in that particular area. And it was still some like childhood reaction that I had just never matured on. And growing up and calming down is pretty much a thesis to both of those books. And that I'm not responsible for people's happiness. I'm only responsible for my happiness. I have a responsibility to other people to be a better version of myself, to help provide safety and security for them but I'm not responsible for where they go in life and kind of getting permission to kind of separate that and draw a clear boundary that really can change your parenting. Because when you realize you're not responsible for how your kid acts, you're responsible to help them get through where they need to go. But you're not responsible for when they have a bad
2: day. I have nothing. What am I going to say about kids again? I don't want to tell you. I think you guys are all raising the kids like shit. The Young kids are a bunch of pain in the asses. I blame all of you. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Oh, uh, parenting books, dude, I have, obviously I have no idea, but to me, the joke I always make about parenting books is like kind of that joke where it's like, mm, who thinks they haven't figured out, you know, And they write a book about it.
1: Yeah. And uh-huh. it's sometimes it's like, probably one of the most important thing within parenting books that you just get naturally is you share a common story that relates to what you felt. And this goes for military service and probably even real estate where you feel like you just messed up a deal and you're like, everybody is great at real estate. And I'm the only idiot that made this mistake. And so anytime you read a piece of literature, blog post doesn't matter. Anytime you read something that validates that you're not the only idiot in the world, that in itself is an amazing feeling of where, wow, it's not just me. I mean, even a lot of the veteran suicides that we suffer within the community is often just perpetuated by they have this thought in their head that they're the only ones feeling this way. And they just come to the conclusion that life would be better without them. And- that is a sad thought. And it's one that I've been fighting against ever since starting my podcast, but it's my mission to introduce as many real thoughts and emotions to their minds through the podcast. Because if I can cancel out that thought and be like, well, if I'm wrong about that, what else could I be wrong about? That's how I can start to to make real change. That's what books did for me on a
2: similar level. Like just you read, I read, I prefer, I like this, I have this thing for old books and it's like, yeah, you read a book from the 1800s and some guy says what you feel and you're like, not only am I not alone, this has been going on for a long time.
1: I'll take that one. I'll go even further. Have you ever read any of the Stoic stuff? Yeah, Meditations, yep. So if you've read the Stoic stuff, like some of that stuff, you can't tell the decade it was written or the freaking century or the millennia. Like some of the stuff from like Seneca, if you read it to a basic person or went jaywalking like on Los Angeles Boulevard or Sunset Boulevard, you they would not be able to tell that that was from 3000 BC. And that just solidifies that This is a mind game that's been going on since the mind has been invented, and it's not new. The code's been there. It just keeps running the same stuff, keeps producing the same outcomes, and it just makes you feel normal. And oftentimes, making yourself feel normal is one of the best gifts, even I'm sure in real estate. When you find someone that's been trying to do real estate, and they've just been trying and trying and trying, but they haven't been able to get a good deal, and they just feel like they're maybe a corner away from throwing away, throwing towel in, just making them feel like, yeah, I was there too. This is how you can get out. Like that's another component to all of what we're talking about is I always approach life now to, and this wasn't before when I was focused on things, this was something I created with connection, always have one hand up and one hand down, like a barrel of monkeys, always have one hand up asking for help, but then always have one hand behind you looking for the person that just started the battle that you won. And then it's looking for that shortcut, that hack code to get out of there. And if you keep doing that, you'll always keep getting where you need to go and you'll create the bonds and connections that you need to create all the different opportunities you need in your life to be successful. But if you don't have that barrel of monkeys mindset, your ego will take over. You'll be a guy that people don't like. And maybe you do become successful in real estate, but you won't be around a person that people want to spend time with you because you didn't spend time building connection with different people. Yeah, I think that's I
2: great. love that. I never explain it that way, but I very much try to do exactly that. I'm always have a few people that are ahead of me that are mentors. And then I'm trying to... I'm not as good at David as... I got to give David credit. He's incredible at fostering new, educating new investors. And he's fantastic at it. I kind of leave breadcrumbs, but it's the same type of thing where it's like, hey, I'm taking the next people along that I can. Hey, I just learned this. I got you. Come on. I'll hook you. I'll make that faster for you. And meanwhile, looking for somebody here to help me out on that side. I love that. That's really good advice because that way you give back and, you know, you get, you get to ask, which is uh, quite the effort and humility, actually, especially as you get better. You get better
1: at things and you're like, fuck, I got to ask. And you I know that stuff. Process but I a lot faster. And what you realize also is every time you have a problem, it's not about how do I solve it? Who do I know that has solved it? That's a 10 times more effective question than you just sitting for a week. Starting a podcast is a good example. Thousands of podcasts die Before they ever hit publish, because they spent six months trying to answer a stupid question that they could have done either Googling, posted in a Facebook group, or asked a friend that maybe does a podcast, and they just don't ever reach out to close that gap. And the best the other example to solidify of why I believe men were more wired for connection than things is if we look at even just like American Indian communities is the easiest example. No matter what age you were, you were never required to know all the information. You always had elders ahead of you, and there was always people behind you. Same idea in that tribe, you had a community of people that would support you and help you grow to where you needed to go. But again, if you had a bad day, it wasn't on you to carry the load. You would always share the load. So when you have a bad real estate day, it's important to have someone that you can call to kind of share the load and like help you through that and see what you did wrong. Because if you don't have that, some of that mean the bigger the deal, I'm sure the more weight it feels on your shoulders when it goes south. If you don't have a strong network to share that load with, sometimes it can just crush you and then your real estate career is over.
2: That's basically my entire life's responsibility is I'm David's cushion, his emotional cushion because he does so many bad <laughs> deals. My phone is just on it's dead all the time because it just vibrates all day. The supports I'm a I'm a human support group for this one individual. It's,
1: I mean, look, can't it's more work rates it. And what you charge for him to get through it's, those. I'm happy times. to do it. I'm
2: happy to do it, but
0: you know, and here I was going to comment on how hard it is for me to be reaching back to pull you up this freaking food chain, Alex. But
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I got a question for you, Alex, who I mean, in your life reached their hand backwards and allowed you to grow where you are today? I actually
2: am an incredibly lucky individual who, despite a really kind of abrasive personality, has had some very very uh, good mentors. And I'm very thankful. Some of them listen to this podcast. I'm here because of David. I do this podcast. I get opportunities, not that many, but you know, <laughs> I get some opportunities from this. <laughs> Look, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I get to meet successful people such as yourself, many others. It's a very fortunate position. That's a great example. And he basically asked me to do this because, well, I'm obviously incredibly valuable, but <laughs> In real estate, you know, I've had tremendous mentors. I know I can't, I can't with this. I don't know why people like me. (laughs) It's it's the pig. yeah. They look at me like he must be harmless. Oh my God, why won't he stop talking? I just love that it's like, I'm going
0: down this super legitimate and I'm really valuable. And we're like, wait, what?
2: (laughs) I've had fortunate mentors and I've actually written about it where I'll kind of segment up my life and be like, you know, I had this guy in the army that took me under his wing. When I get out of the army and I was, I sold cars for a little I had a guy that really took me under his wing. When I transitioned out of that and I wanted to become more entrepreneurial, I had a guy that really unlocked my mind, really made me believe in myself for the first time. And so I've had people along the way, a growing list. I try to, I'm very grateful and lucky for, for a lot of them. And to your point, you know, I'm always looking for, I call it close carrots, where it's like that person who's not so far ahead of you at Grand Cardone, where it's six thousand units, and anything he, he's not trying to teach you, he's trying to sell you. And he doesn't the time to teach, right? So go get a course, whatever the case. But like, there's people who, you know, I close a fifty unit. I'm looking to find somebody who just closed a two hundred unit because that's that's the next. What did you do? You just got over the hurdle that I got over. So that kind of mentorship, where I'm always looking for that next person to be like, how can I add some value? That's why I got into this guy right here. My camera, my secret weapon. It gets me in. I get to add value to people that's beyond just the real estate business experience. But long story short, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of mentors. I'm incredibly lucky. And it gets harder actually to find them as you get older. In my opinion, that's not perfectly accurate, but it's partly accurate. For my young people, people want to invest in young bets, just generally. I mean, they're not always better, but it's easier for you to look at a twenty-year-old and be like, "That whippersnapper, he's got, he's got gusto. I'll take him under my wing." It's harder for a thirty-seven-year-old, you know, asshole wears paint to be like, "Hey, can you teach me what you're doing?" You know, it's like I'm too abrasive now, so it's hard I to find abrasive. Out. I was just
1: thinking you have a bad haircut.
2: Oh, oh, oh and he's gone.
1: <laughs> what I love about what you said, and I want to make sure people see it because it was really good, is you talked about the idea of being able to see new ideas. You said one coach really just blew your mind and let you see your own potential. Most people do not have a wide enough view of the American dream. Most people don't even realize real estate is something that can change your life. Most people just assume that there's only one road to life. And this is why it's so important to keep climbing and reaching higher. Like I go to a podcast conference and I keep hearing all these different podcasts and they continue to blow my mind. I'm like, you do what? And this is a podcast and you make how much money? Every time you hear that, you can't unhear that information. I've met a lady who runs a murder mystery quilting com- or company on Facebook. She sends these old ladies a, qu- a quilt, a quilting patch every month that puts together, and she makes over a million dollars doing this. When you hear people, say like that, I don't What's remember name? her name. <laughs> you got <laughs> to find
2: it, it for a, me. I gotta. I'm talking to a chick that's a quilter, and she has a quilt business. I need you to you need you to, I
1: need you to get this information for me. I can probably dig it up because it wasn't too hard, and it was just like continues to shape like the, most people just do not have a wide enough view of the American dream. We're going back to dreaming and goals. Like most times people are just running on the code and dream with their father and they don't ever challenge. Like, is this really the code that I want? Is this me just mis- being miswired? Or men, a lot of say like, I'm just not wired for that. I probably would have said the same thing. I'm not wired to be a stay-at-home dad. I got to go to work. But it was me realizing, I wonder if I'm miswired. Because then once I figured out I might be miswired and that came to me because I got to be a stay-at-home dad for 10 days. My wife went to China for a internship with a school. It was all on me. And what I learned through that was I just want to be dad. And I never had that true feeling on the inside. Like, I don't want to go back to work. I just want to be dad. And a year later, I started rewiring my life to make it happen.
2: I like that. And I I felt maybe not exactly the same, but I know what you mean. People, they don't know what's possible for them. They don't really want to work for it even if they do know it's possible, that's a Mm -hmm. problem. But they also think it's, they actually think it's more work to get their life that they want than than it really is. And they also think it's a lot more sacrifice. And it's like, now it turns out you really don't like Netflix. You just don't know what you really would like to do. And so you burn it on Netflix because you don't know what the idea is. And you don't know that if you take the time and go find the world, the person, the idea, whatever the case is, you can really make and change your life. But you have to have a couple of, yeah, like you said, a couple of ideas Social circles are incredibly important because if you're around people that prove that it's possible, then you know it's possible. Then something clicks. Especially if those are people who are like in a regular social circle. And the other second one is ideas. Like you said earlier, like follow your curiosity. If you can, if you can, like, hey, look, what am I? What do I like? What am I into? Let me go Google that shit for a while and kind of get down a rabbit hole. I think those are very powerful ideas. I agree. Yeah. I think we've. <laughs> Oh
0: man. And I also agree with you on the the bets. I mean, Alex, you know about this hotel thing that I'm in, but the guy literally told me on the phone that he had two or three other people trying to, you know, buy this property. And at the end of us negotiating back and forth for like two or three weeks, he was like, The reason I'm going to go with you is because I wish I'd been had an opportunity like this when I was your age. And like, I don't know that that's 100% what's going on, but I'm sure there's other factors, but like the guy was. It was really cool that he basically sat down. It was like I'd rather place a bet on you and help you guys out than somebody who's already sixty five and made it. Like that's never that
1: cool. reminds me of how I show up and essentially my code for showing up as a friend. That I'm always trying to be the friend that I wish I had in my life five years ago. So I always look at myself as my favorite avatar, and I always look like what did I? Re- what would have blew my mind five years ago? that's who I try to show up as. And that's always how I try to lead. And it sounds like that's what he did. He, he's like, he saw a lot of you in him and he's like, this would have changed my life back then. And he wanted to to do the right thing. And I would consider it and try to help change yours to make more of a person that gives a shit. Like it's uh, I mean, to the other people that might've like just, this been another deal. It was just been another deal. And it probably would have been, but to you, it is life-changing. Yeah. And you are a good idea machine. You know that? I, it's a curse and a blessing because for other people, I can spit out ideas. I have probably 10 good podcast ideas every day and it's good for other people because I can like take them from itch to launch in a few minutes. But for me, like it's often like the earlier problem in my head was like, well, what do I do if every idea looks like a good idea? And so the only way that I was able to filter through that was recognizing and adding one additional filter and recognizing what season in life am I in? And what idea best aligns with the season of life am in? Because seasons change, just like the weather seasons. And whatever fits in this season isn't gonna always fit in the next season. And there's better, some ideas are like, you know what, I can do that when the kids don't wanna hang around with me. Or maybe when some, my wife and I don't wanna stare at each other all day and the kids are out of the, out of the house already. Maybe this is an idea that sits in that better and I'm traveling a little bit more. Whatever, is, like that helped really anchor me. And through that question is when I was like, this season of life is I'm a dad. What idea best creates that alignment? And that desired outcome to be a dad. Well, starting a dad podcast was the instant. I had like six other ideas I could have done and none of them were related to each other. But this one was this season and it made sense. I'm going to sound like an idiot right now. What's your Myers-Briggs personality type? Are you an ENTP? I don't know my letters enough. I I did do the Myers-Briggs once. And I can remember who I was compared to. And the one that I remember, and I still don't believe it, it said I was compared to Mother Teresa. So whatever type Mother Teresa was, that was the type that I ended up being.
2: I That personality type, a uh, lot of ideas, big idea, like that kind of thing. I can relate to that. Just curious. You keep using right. your curiosity. It'll serve you well. I'm very curious. It might serve him well, but sometimes it drives other people nuts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> David doesn't like. And even I, I I'm curious and I have too much free time. So I read obscure books that nobody cares about. And then I rant about them. Like they're the most important thing in the whole wide world. And it infuriates our friend here. So oh, do you want to know why it's important it's pretty, to read old it's pretty books? It's funny. Uh, because yeah. Alex, Lindy, he's going to tell you. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Please tell me why. That was a, this is my
1: favorite advice because uh, so many times like there's, Millions of books out there you could could choose to read. And everybody thinks like every idea has been already thought of, but most of the time we're just regurgitating ideas. We talked about the Stoics having the same problems that we did 3,000 years ago. If you want a new idea, go read something old. You can read books from the Industrial Revolution in like 1910, and you could read something Henry Ford wrote in a book and be like, we've completely forgot this. I could kill it. And it's often something that was written 100 years ago. So if you want new ideas old literature is often the best way to get it because it's thinking we most likely forgot about. Or even Benjamin Franklin is a great example. He was a great inventor and in doing a lot of thinking. How did he think? How was his process? What were some ideas that he had that people forgot about? You can really do a lot of impact with change by going back and picking up old ideas that we've just forgot about.
2: Look, I was fine with it. I figured for the whole time that I was right and everybody else is wrong. So I was, I'm was, at peace. <laughs> I'm I'm cool. It's everybody else that's missing out. Old books, yeah. I got stuck on Russian literature from the 1800s for a while. I did read a lot of the industrial. Excuse me, the American Revolution, Thomas Paine, those Ben Franklin. Like you know, he's those are they're good ideas in those books.
1: There's one more layer to this that I've learned within conversations, especially with all the polarization we've had in America. Is approaching every conversation as like a student of the human experience. That's what also you're doing. Is you're actually being a student of the human experience, and when you create more experience and have that student mindset, you can actually create more empathy for a lot more different people that normally you may be like, you know what, you might go into an immediate judgment mode, but if you've been able to be a student of the human experience through time, you can have a deeper understanding of how both sides can feel like they're right. This is how we can come together because you've seen it and read about it. And going back to good ideas from old, old books. It's those human experiences is what we're missing. And connection is how we create that and you can't argue your way through that and even through all that when people have like a political conversation or whether it be a race conversation to me my mindset is always i want to understand how you got to see the world this way versus trying to change how you see it because if i can help if i can understand how you got to see it because you see it as black and white if i can understand that then i can have a deeper understanding and empathy for whatever it is that we're talking about
2: have you read have you read jonathan hates uh, the righteous mind no i have not yeah so i i like Kind of exactly that. I don't really care about, I read a lot about politics, but I don't really care about issues. I care about why do people think the way they think.
1: Mm, yeah, um, that's like that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and that's why
2: I'm agreeing. I'm just saying it my <laughs> way. <laughs> but yeah, history does a thing of doing, you start to learn this nuance and you're like, what people do is they go, well, it's this issue and then this is my answer. And I'm like, but you're covering 200 years. There's no possible way. But when you read the history and you understand the nuance, it takes away it just forces you to add all this gray into some what other people see as black and white and so then you're like oh yeah i'm not going to get mad about that because i know that you're this is what you're
1: this is why you think this way and that's i'm okay with that have um, you ever heard of the time stuck podcast no there's a comedian dan cummins who's a really funny comedian but maybe a couple of years ago we started a podcast called time suck Really great podcast, like two hour episodes where he takes the topic and he deep dives into it. And he does it in a really good comical way. Like sometimes they'll start creating event or creating facts that are kind of funny, but not true. And then it just, I would, this was my favorite way to escape and learn about random things on my way to work. And one of my cra- favorite facts that I learned about Andrew Jackson, the president, is he actually died with a bullet like an inch away from his heart from a duel that he actually fought in. And his strategy going into it was, I'm gonna get shot first so I have opportunity to make sure I shoot him where he needs to get shot. And so he got shot first and then he took a shot and he died with that bullet still in him on the way to this deathbed. Like he was president while he had this bullet inside of him and it was just like, whoa, like that kind of cool stuff. Like I, no one ever really knows and I learned that from the Time Suck podcast. You know, I like the idea that our politicians take some risk.
2: You know, they got a little skin in the game. I like that. You know, not to say Andrew Jackson was perfect. He certainly wasn't, but that makes me like him better.
1: Yeah, he was just a tough guy that was like, he's not going to let the he's going to go through it the way he wants to. And the idea that he actually, a strategy was to get shot first. Like most people don't have, don't think like that. I'm going to get shot. Definitely last.
2: Yeah. If I have to choose the two. (laughs) Yeah. Last (laughs) is the one. I mean, (laughs) maybe even, maybe even. Let me get this one out there. Maybe even I won't get shot at all. Maybe.
0: I mean, you know, hopefully we don't so ever need options. to find
2: that out since I think
0: duels mm-hmm. are kind of gone. Unless you're my LLC agreement on one of my more recent purchases where we have a clause about a paintball duel. If we can't agree on something and need to f-
2: sort it out. So
1: that's a No wonder one.
2: Yeah. Well, it's after all the list. normal mediation stuff. You got high legal bills for this kind of antics.
1: <laughs> I, I thought oh. he had high, high therapy bills from you as well. So, I mean, I think you need to work through that. Uh, <laughs> the Oh, my man. Is Alex, talk number
2: two,
0: <laughs> Alex is my therapy. It's like, Alex, I feel good about myself. Fix this. And then he fixes it for me. I don't feel good about myself anymore. Then I'm like, all right, now I've been humbled. Now I will continue with learning things. I'm clearly not good
2: enough yet. <laughs> That's my own personal therapy. I just tell myself I'm not good enough. And then <laughs> like that guy, like looking guess, at he here, like, w- it makes me work hard
0: with the cat of nine tails.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Do better. What is your growth mindset when you think of reaching your hand up, David? What are your, your mindset when you think about trying to find the next person to have as your mentor? Mm. You know, I found mentors in some very interesting spots
0: as we talk about it. And I don't just mean where I first met Alex getting, you know, told we couldn't have all the alcohol, we smuggled into a hotel at an event, which was a great event and good Corona. But a lot of it has been like when you mentioned the podcast, like a lot of it's been finding a mentor via YouTube or podcast or a book where it's like, I need an answer to a specific question. And I go to that source and say, hey, this guy's already found it or whatever. And then kind of build relationships through that. I've built some pretty strong relationships through like working my way through people's channels where it's like, hey, this guy helped me with this, 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 this and like work your way up to whatever. But a lot of it has also just been very organic, just networking, whether at an event or Facebook or whatever, where it's just building the best networking and the best mentorship it doesn't come from looking for a mentor, in my opinion, or, or whatever. It just comes from building relationships just seeing where where things go. I mean, you kind of have to be intentional about it sometimes, depending on what you're trying to learn. Like if you're trying to learn how to start a podcast, intentionally looking for somebody who's already started a podcast and asking them. But most of what I've ever needed help with, with mentors and people coming to me has been relationships where I just try to show up and you know absorb and add value and and just build an actual relationship and let information flow naturally. But I've just, I've been lucky that I have a pretty solid network. So I have at this point, I... I'm fairly confident that any problem I come up with in life, I can find the answer via somebody I know or, you know, maybe two steps off, you know, somebody they know. But usually it's like, oh, I need to ask this guy, whatever. And it just kind of comes organically through having solid relationships with people.
1: Let me ask this question. I'm interested for both of you. How did you guys both learn that lesson? Because usually it's men learn it the hard way. We have to learn that we can't do it alone. So I'm interested where you guys had to like have the universe beat you in the head with the wall and be like, you can't do it alone. You need to find people ahead of you to try to make it happen.
0: I actually had an incredible, when I look back on it, role model with my dad and some of the stuff that he did for me as a parent. So I had several- Way to tie
1: it back into fatherhood.
0: Yeah. So, so I had several really solid- uh, mentors in high school, whether that was small group leaders or this guy Wilson, who I used to go over to his house once a week, once every other week. And him and his wife would psychoanalyze why I was all screwed up in the head and give me advice. You know, a couple different really solid mentor roles. And then I was in Boy Scouts. So I had some good male leadership there as a as a Boy Scout. Men's sports, obviously coaches, but I'll never forget something I need to find. I have the paper somewhere, but when I turned 18, my dad, my mom as well, but she wasn't there. She had something to do with it, but she wasn't there. But my dad basically pulled in all these people who had been mentors to me in life on like, I think it was actually on my 18th birthday, but there's this park like three miles from my house that had like a mile and a half trail. And he basically walked this trail with me. And at every park bench was somebody who had been a mentor of mine. And they had like a page of like information they wish they'd known when they turned 18 or whatever and sat me down and gave me like a, you know, like welcome to being a man, and, like whatever. I got really fortunate with being introduced to like legit mentorship and like kind of coming of age type stuff. And, you know, I've mentioned that I've only think I've only really talked about that once or twice in life since then to people who weren't there because it's odd, but it, it almost seems like uncomfortable to bring that up because I know there are people out there who didn't have like a solid model or solid role models. And I almost, I don't want to say I feel guilty, but it's almost like an uncomfortable conversation. But I know when I look back on that, like I had a really solid experience with some mentors in high school. So as opposed to, I, and I definitely learned a lot of things the hard way, but I also was shown like good mentorship and, and why it was important from a good age. So I think that's probably where I get the idea of like going to people for for answers more than like the failures. It was
2: like, I kind of had it ingrained in me already. What about you, Alex, Bro, I was a lifelong fuck up till I was 30. Like I just got my stuff together. So I had odd jobs. I didn't have any I didn't have any real talents when I got to the army. And then I started to sell cars, which is a very important soft skill or maybe maybe actually a hard skill, like being able to sell actually, not just, oh, I have the gift to gab, but like actually going through transactions and learning how to sell. So I had some mentors that around that time, that believed in me in a way that made me feel confident to finally believe in myself. They're like, you're better than you realize. And I believe them. And I think that's an important part of people's journey. When you like, I think a lot of people deep down inside think that they have that they have that they're good at things. I actually really do think people think highly of themselves to themselves. And then when it comes to the rest of the world, you're like, eh, it's not, I'm not that good. And so they discount their own talents. And then when they run into the right person that, that they're like, Alex, you're audacious. And I was like, I did not, I was not wearing pink.
1: And that was not a word you know, in my vocabulary.
2: <laughs> That's a word in my vocabulary. But a guy told me one day, he was, you have audacity, you're audacious. Like you should lead into it, not be embarrassed by it. Cause I was, I was a very actually shaved my head because I just didn't, I didn't have any style. So I was just like, I don't know. And so when I first started to believe when I saw other people believe in me and then it worked, I was like, okay, there's something in this like finding the right person to train you and, and keep you around like that. That's there's value there. And then I probably wasn't until I met my current partner, Roderick, that really somebody took that tangible belief system. And I had a little more talents and skills by then that, and he actually took workload risk responsibility from me and supported me. Like it wasn't just a conversation. Now it's like, dude, I can't do real estate without you. You do a lot of the work part. Like you have the infrastructure of my business and he did it and he does it great job. And he. we have a great relationship. And that's when I was like, oh, with the right people in place, you can
1: actually do more than just like, oh, I believe in myself. It's like, I can get things done. You can multiply it almost and be able to magnify that belief around the people that come into your life. hundred
2: One person can do 100% of the work. Two people can do 350% of the work, 500% of the work. So
1: there's that analogy with Clydesdale's that like one Clydesdale, I'm going to get it wrong, but I'll, I'll extrapolate it correctly. Like one th- Clydesdale can pull like a thousand pounds, like two Clydesdales, it goes to like five. Like it's some sa- insane number of magnification of like, it's not just doubling. It's like 10 times more of what you think that those two Clydesdales should be able to do. We somehow just tied it back to fatherhood as well, because this is what I do. Helping men believe they're capable of being the dad that they, they, they want to be. And it's often that they haven't had someone create that confidence, that they feel confident at work. Like a lot of the men I talk to find that success at work. I've talked to CEOs, like managers, like they've like they're crushing it at work, but they just don't have that belief that they're capable of being someone that they've never had modeled. And so if they didn't grow up with a great model growing up, or if they grew up with the model that the dad just worked, they don't know how to really overcome that anxiety that they feel when they get close with their kids or their kids having high emotions because they didn't see a model, then they just need someone to believe in them. And it comes from the inside out. And that's, we often get mixed up that we're human doings, but a lot of my coaching involves helping remind dads that we're human beings. And we do do a lot of stuff. If we don't add that bean component, we're just kind of an empty candy shell without the chocolate on the inside, and that's what makes an M and M and M, and M- the chocolate on the inside, not the outside. So it's uh it's great that's great perspective there, and wh- I love to. I wish I wish maybe David, you have saying this as well, but I wish the Marine Corps in the transition process skipped all the training, just took us somewhere to get rejected a hundred times, take us somewhere to go like just put a room full of hundred people take us in there with this objective. You need to talk to these people and sell them on X. The idea of being used to rejection, I mean, to me, that is one of the most valuable skills that we have. I I still probably struggle with it because I haven't had a lot of practice on it. And within this coaching practice that I've started is really where I probably honed it the most and being okay that someone said no. And it's not like, it doesn't make you less of a person. It just means that it was a no. I mean... You create so much grit when you learn that no has nothing to do with you. It more has something to do with them. And I mean, a lot of people just don't have that wiring to realize that what people think about you doesn't have to be true. I agree. Yeah,
0: I think that's good. All right, a couple of questions that I ask every guest. The so first is, if uh, like an E1, E2, like an 18-year-old was to walk up to you asking for life advice, what would be the one thing you wish that they knew?
1: that the amount of opportunity that they have in their life will be directly proportional to the amount of new people that they talk to daily. I like that. If the military would have told me that one sentence on the way out, I would have shortcutted 10 years of my life because I wasn't expanding my network and I was waiting for everybody else to solve my life's problems and waiting for my managers and people above me to figure out what I needed to do when I grew up. And that's not how the world works. That's not how you create opportunity. Yeah. And they probably don't know what the heck they're doing either. Well, yeah, it's a blind leading the blind a lot of times. It is, we it's weren't the afraid, blind afraid leading of the blind. It. Yeah. It's when you accept ownership of your life for the opportunity you get. And even go one layer, there's another analogy that I used is the more friendships, like literal ships you have on the ocean of your life, the more opportunity that will flow to a shore. And I mean, if you want real estate deals, then they actually flow towards you and you'd be the guy that people call, you've got to have a lot of friendships on the ocean of life. And they'll keep dropping opportunities that keep floating shore. And if you don't have those friendships out there in the ocean, going to be just a blank canvas of horizon, nothing out there, nothing floating to shore, clean beach. And that does not create what you need in life. I
0: agree. All right. We already kind of touched on resources, but what is one resource, uh, whether for business or parenting or, uh, anything that you recommend to, I guess, since this is kind of more men focused, we'll say men, but people in, in general, as far as, you know, whether it's a book course or website that you think is really beneficial to people.
1: I'm going, for me, it was a Dave Ramsey, totally money makeover, but I'm going to just kind of give it a blanket statement that people's connection to money and that it's misunderstanding that it's just energy and it creates work and you can give it freely. It comes back to you freely. That understanding of money is one of the biggest traps that most people get stuck on. It keeps you down. It keeps you from not doing things. It keeps you like you need to hold on to your money. It keeps you not letting it go out in the world to do good things. That to me is like the most common thing that we all get wrong. And I had it wrong. I mean, I hit rock bottom at the same time of 2014. I was, I just had a car payment. I found Dave Ramsey two weeks after just trading my paid-in car for a car payment. And the next four years are spent paying down my debt and kick myself for like falling down. And I wish someone would have told me about this early on, but no one did. So get your money language figured out, get your, your money issues figured out, not from like maybe debt, but figure out truly like, what are some limiting beliefs of money that someone needs to come by and just start ripping up? Because those limiting beliefs of money are going to prevent you from creating opportunities and doing things like investing in real estate. I mean, if you don't understand that money is just energy, real estate seems like the scariest thing you've ever done in your life.
2: Yeah, that's, that's probably true. true. Yeah.
1: If you don't trust giving someone else money for this real estate, and that that's going to come back to you and create wealth, and you have never witnessed it in your life you might as well just said there's a unicorn in that house and I don't believe in unicorns. So I'm not going to buy it.
2: Yeah. Because we live like you alluded to earlier, because we live in this, you know, corporatist type job economy, everybody is used to negotiating their paycheck first, then going to work. And so they have very little experience like, Hey, let me go work on this thing with no promise of the return. And then, or even a promise of the return. Right. And then later I'll get paid more incrementally. People don't have that experience. So they, it's hard for them to trust that process at first.
1: I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Yeah. Same. All right. Where can people get a hold of you? The best place to get a hold of me for the Military Veteran Dad podcast is militaryveterandad.com. At the time of this recording, I am in the process of launching the Business of Fatherhood podcast. So I will be a two podcaster guy always wanted to be a two podcaster guy, but never really knew what the second podcast was going to be. So I am going all in and I'm launching a daily five day a week podcast focused on fatherhood and the business of fatherhood. So essentially, career reminded men and helping them understand and rewire their life for fatherhood. And it's a short five to seven minute episode that can be found at BenColoy.com for that podcast and everything military related is at MilitaryVeteranDad.com. And the best place to get a hold of me is on Instagram, Ben underscore colloy as well. Ben, you're a rock star. This was a fantastic podcast. And I do like your hair, even though I just said I didn't like it.
2: I apologize. I knew you I feel you bad about it. that. I knew you said that. I did not feel bad. I knew you were lying. Uh-oh. Everybody oh knew God. you were lying. No harm done. The Don't worry about it. that after
1: you. Alex says something
0: nice, he goes, oh, okay. Yeah, I like your hair.
1: That's what they call a compliment <laughs> sandwich. You can just fit it in there and <laughs> make it go away. <laughs> I appreciate you guys helping me fix my
2: mic. I'm sure, I'm sure I sound much better. You do sound much Welcome better. Welcome to okay? Pro Podcasting.
1: There you go. Look
0: at you. You're a pro. (laughs) Now we just gotta get you paid.
2: I've been podcasting um, for so long, and I'm so bad at it still.
0: Nah, you're good. I wouldn't keep you around if you were worse than I am. I mean, that's not saying anything. I'm pretty bad.
1: But the best (laughs) podcast advice that I give is filtered through dad. Dad lingo that... I know you're not a dad, Alex. So have you seen Finding Finding Nemo? Yeah, hundreds of times. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's the, the fish in Finding Nemo, Dory. The best podcast advice is just keep swimming. Hold my fin. As long as you keep swimming, you'll keep growing. As long as you keep growing, you'll get where you need to go. And that's the most important part of podcasting. And you only fail when you quit. I quit. I quit. (laughs) I quit two podcasts.
2: I quit two podcasts. I wasn't
0: going to be the one to say it, but since it came up, Alex started the podcast about, get this, following some entrepreneurs and interviewing them all once and then interviewing them all again and then interviewing them all again to see
1: which ones would quit and which ones would be successful. And then he quit. (laughs) (laughs) What did you learn from that experience? I got to ask, what did you learn from that failure? Because I'm sure you did. It wasn't complete failure. Uh, Of course. In fact, that's, I couldn't, I would not
2: have said yes to David's podcast had I not done that one first. So, you know, you speak very, you have a lot of conviction about the way you talked about I knew I wanted to be a podcaster. And I think some people, you know there's a lot of realms of entrepreneurship, right? You can go into like real business, like the real estate thing that I do is like a real business. And then then there's this social media content creation side. And then there's like this other creative side that I'm that I, I look at. And you know you got to find your balance your way in the world. And turns out, I will have. I will definitely have my own podcast again in the future when I understand. When first, when I can afford to do the production. I got caught in production hell, and I don't. It is like a hell. It, it's I- like raising a
1: child without having a child that needs needs you every week. It doesn't provide any love back, and it just keeps repeating. I-, I know exactly what you feel. If I can hire that out, I'd be better.
2: I also don't like. I did not like the editing my own voice. You guys, I understand why everybody finds me intolerable. I get it. I had to listen to myself. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I have to outsource it. I cannot do it. So there's a lot of production problems and that's not a good, I'm a low conscientious, low work ethic dude. High ideas, I'm smart, but when it comes to like putting ideas into action, I'm the worst. So when David's like, hey, all you gotta do is show up and talk. I got you, I got you. This is perfect for me. So if I could do another podcast with a format that I I have a bunch of ideas and formats I could do and where I'd hired it out, I think it'd be a lot better for me. Uh, I also, it helped me, you know, when that didn't work out, I was like, let me go try YouTube, which I actually, turns out, I hate it even more, but I'm getting better at YouTube. But you got to go through them. You know, I wrote for a while too. I still write a lot, actually. So I talked to you story, know how it is. You gotta, I liked your show. Well, well, you know, it's interesting, like Ben said, right? Like if you stick with it, it's one of those things where I think I got into that point where it's like, I wasn't really having that much fun with it. I was seeing, I was like, this is, th- was I wasn't committed enough at the to- time. It was a what? Teaching vehicle. It was a teaching vehicle. So I was like, oh, I can. I'm not losing anything I quit. I'm just trying to do this to learn. And I learned a lot. So, anyways, but it reminded
1: I think- me of some of my favorite entrepreneur advice because I was this man that stood in front of the base of a mountain having all these ideas. And you probably have the same thing, Alex, where you're like, all these ideas are like I, wh- how is this which ideas give me the one to save save me, like elevate me to where I want to go? And it was just overwhelming. And what I realized, and I needed to hear this five years ago, and it would have changed everything that it's not about picking the right mountain, it's about climbing the mountain and picking one and climbing it. Because what you don't realize is as you climb, your elevation, your perspective changes every altitude you go higher. And what you don't realize is your billion dollar idea is actually on the other side of this mountain, but you'll never see it until you learn the lessons you need to learn from this first mountain. And it doesn't matter whether it's the right one or the wrong one, more important to change your perspective on life. And once you change your perspective, you can change, see what's possible but you can't do that from standing at the base of the mountain. And I'm sure that analogy like smacks right in the face for real estate because you can sit in front of the right deal and not know which one to execute, but it's more important, like climb the first deal, learn what you need to learn and see what you can see on the other side of that because you're going to meet new people, you're going to learn new lessons, or you'll validate this isn't for you, but you'll never learn that sitting at the base of the mountain. I love that.
2: To your point, I do also think you have to give things a reasonable commitment. And so one of the things I'm actually really glad I did, I did, I did it for a year. I didn't do it for like three months and did six episodes. I did. I ended up doing 35, 36 episodes, which is a good chunk. And yeah. And hated it. I, I like talking to people, but the production, I was production
1: hell. And then it's like raising a child. It's no joke. It's I mean, this is why most podcasts never get past 10 episodes because they realize how much work goes into it. It's so much work. Yeah. So I, in the future, I think
2: I would do it again, but I wouldn't have. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I looked at it like, let me get my chops, let me figure this out. Look, now I'm I'm happy. I'm so thankful for David. You know, we get to do this this show. I fuss about it all the time to him, but but we have a good time. We I think we produce a valuable piece of product here. And I, I look at it as like, well, I couldn't do my podcast, but I'm still gaining a lot of experience helping him with his. And you know, the game. Is just long. having an
1: emotional support person there, that just kind of encourage you. to have someone to talk to that just makes it a little bit easier. I mean, like it's just sharing the load that podcast is overwhelming. I and mean, when you can share it with someone, it makes it that much better.
2: We talked about two yeah. people. It's like, I couldn't do it all myself, but now with, and he was having, he was doing it all himself and he's like, oh, now the conversations are getting tough. Cause I'm sitting here trying to do show notes and, you know, doing these reminders while I'm working while he's talking. And then I'm not as good of a guest. So I'm like, bro, I'll pull off. You know what I mean? Now we have a good little mix. Yeah, your wingman. man. Yeah, absolutely. You can do without me.
0: Ben, this has been a pleasure. I, I'm i not even going to fight you on that, Alex. Yeah, this has been a good episode. This has been a good conversation. It's been a good break from talking about real estate. So thank you very
1: much. At the core of what we talked about was real estate. We just dressed up with different things. And that's the biggest lie that most people tell themselves is you've got to know it in a certain language. Life is more common than we think. We'd often just tell ourselves it has to be different to hide from whatever truth we want to see. And I think we talked about real estate without talking about real estate today. I can buy that. I like it. Thank you very much for being on the show, Weather. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military millionaire dot com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.